Masechet Nazir Daf Kaf Aleph. We began the fourth pedic with the new Mishnah uh, that starts off with the case. Uh, someone says Hadeni Nazir, and then Mr. B says me, me too, and Mr. C says me too. And we're going to start off with the question: With how long do they have? to um, to wait. Do they have to say it immediately or can they say it a few minutes later? So Resh-Lakish was sitting before the Biyuda Nisi'a. This is not the Biyuda Hanasi, uh, but rather the grandson of the Biyuda Nasi. And he was uh, uh, um, and he was teaching and saying that he was teaching this very Mishnah and he's saying that's only if he links to the previous person within the amount of time that you can say a short phrase, uh, which we'll see what that is in a second. Talk within the time for speaking means to give a greeting, and how much is it time? How how long is the time to give a greeting that a student would give to his teacher? Uh, what would he say? He would say Shalom alecha Rebi. Okay, that's only a couple of seconds. Uh, so when the first person says Hadeni Nazir, the second person who hears it has to say within just a couple of seconds Va'ani. If he waits a few minutes, they're already on to something else. All of his senses Va'ani. It's completely out of context. It's not clear that it's talking about that it's referring to the first one, uh, but rather um, uh, has to be really almost immediate. It's kind of like a continuation of that person's uh, statement. Um, saying me too. Okay, um, so that is what Reshakish said in front of his uh, teacher. However, Amar le'etub la shabak teravcha letalmida. But Abudan Siah responded to him and said, "You left no uh, room for a student." In other words, if a student goes and he sees his teacher, right, and he says Shalom alechadabi, and in the meantime, at the same time, someone had just said. Uh, and he wants to say me too so he says by the time he says hello he already missed his opportunity in other words this is too short you can't just give someone such a short window of opportunity rather uh, it should be something longer how much longer uh, it could be different there's different opinions about that maybe it should be while you're still involved in that conversation um, and so it's clear oh you're going to be in Nazir you know uh, tell me why what are you going to do oh you know what Va'ani so maybe you should have a few more minutes uh, within a certain context. Okay, but anyway, Reshakish did teach that it has to be within the amount of time to say a greeting, and we're going to support his opinion. One person, Mr. A, says, And then his friend, Mr. B, hears it, and he waits uh, long enough that someone could, uh, long enough to speak. He waits longer than that. And only after that he says, oh yeah, va'ani me too. So the first person, Mr. A, is prohibited and Mr. B is permitted, is not a nazir. How long is kededibur? Enough time for a student to uh, give a greeting to his teacher. So you see it's exactly the same thing. It has to be within that short time period. And uh, leaving a little bit after that uh, is already outside the window of opportunity.
Let's bring yet another proof, at least try. This one is from our Mishnah, where it says, it gives an example of three people. Person A said, and then person B said, and then Mr. C said, also, and that's all. It only gives an example of two people that are linking to the first one, and not four, not five. So this is a proof because it shows that it has to be within a, sh- a short time period. How many people can say va'ani within the time it says to say shalom alecha rabbi? Right, shalom alecha. It's, it's only a few syllables, well, only a couple of seconds. So only uh, two people would say va'ani. Va'ani is actually three syllables each. So uh, it's about the same amount of time, and that's why the Mishnah is precise and says only two people uh, from the time the Mr. A says. Had any nazir, you have only a window of opportunity of two seconds. And therefore, how many people can say va'ani within two seconds? Two people. Um, and that's it. And that's why the Mishnah says two and not three. So this seems to be a proof for Resh Lakish. But we reject that. Tana, kiruchla, What? The Tana, the author of the Mishnah, the reciter of the Mishnah, should be like a peddler who continues on and on, uh, repeating himself and continuing. A peddler, someone, you know, so he's sh- selling in, in the street, you know, keeps saying, uh, you know, two, uh, two apples for a dollar, two apples for a dollar. He keeps repeating himself every on and on. So what? You want the reciter of the Mishnah to keep to saying, Hadeni Nazir, Shema Chavaron says Vani, Shema Chavaron says Vani. How long you want him to go? You know, 10, 20? When are you going to stop? So he's giving two examples. That's enough, right? Three, three people altogether, two people that are linking to it, and you, fig- you can figure out the rest. So the Mishnah is written in short form, and you can't prove the, the, from the Mishnah that necessarily that only two people have a chance to say va'ani. But then we reject that and say, If the Mishnah is really going to be in such short form, so just say one, only two people altogether. Mr. A says, Hadani Nazir. One person says, Va'ani. And then I could figure out the, the rest. That if, if another person says, Va'ani, also, the, um, and so on, they also will be, uh, will be Nazirim. So if, if, why have, if you want to be short and shorthanded, fine, just say only one example. Uh, one vani and not two vanis, and the answer to that is hachename mishum de katani sefa hu tarishon hu trukulan hu tracharon acharon mutar bechulan asurin bekladika msei mishum hachi katani vani vani. Says you're right. If it was only the first clause, if we just want needed to teach that Mr. Esesarei Nazir, the word vani does is binding, even though he doesn't have to say Vani also Amenazir, he could just say that word Vani, and that is like ditto, and it quotes uh, the, the first. If that was the only halacha we wanted to teach, then you're right. In fact, the Mishnah would only mention one Vani. But here, the Sefa, the next case of the Mishnah, wants to teach something about the linking and uh, and renouncing, uh, because in the, re- in the rest of the Mishnah teaches that if the first person, Mr. A, undid uh, um, his his nizirut, uh, uh, then all of them are also annulled because B and C depend on A. Whereas if C annulled his only, then only C is annulled and A and B do not depend on C. They came earlier and those are prohibited, remain prohibited. Um, so you see, since it's talking about the first person and the last person, uh, we can infer that there is a middle person. So we need three people in order to 
have the example of the last Mishnah, uh, so you can have a first, a middle, and a last, and that's why in the Resha it also has three people, A, B, and C, so you could have a first, middle, and last. Um, okay, but we cannot prove one way or another from this Mishnah whether um, how long the time period is for someone to say Va'ani. Now, question. When you have three or more people, um, is it that is it a chain link that each person is depends on the one pre, uh, immediately previous immediately previous to him? So A says Nazir, B links to A. When C says Va'ani, C is linking to B. Does that way it works? Or is everyone linking to A, right? B says Vani, links to A. C uh, links to A, links says Vani, it's linking directly to A. So is it like a chain link or more like uh, kind of spokes where uh, A is the middle and everybody is connecting directly to A? Lemay uh, nafkamina, what would be a practical difference between them? To link and continue linking. Uh, here's the two sides. If you say it's a chain link, well then you can go on forever because the first one says nazir. Within two seconds, uh, B says Vaani. Within another two seconds, uh, C says Vaani. Within two seconds after C saying Vaani. D can say Vani. So therefore, if you have a lot of people, you can, in a line, you can keep going on forever because it's not two seconds from Mr. A, it's two seconds from the previous since D is linking to C and E is linking to D. Whereas, Whereas, if you say that everybody is linking only to Mr. A, well then, once B says Va'ani, and then C says Va'ani, already two seconds has passed, and there's no time for uh, D, E, F, or anyone else. That would be the maximum, unless they said it unanimously, right? You have a group, and they all say Va'ani at the same time. But we're not talking about that. If they're saying it one at a time, then the two would be the maximum. So you see how this question is related to what came before, because uh, in the attempted proof uh, uh, earlier from the Mishnah, we were assuming that they're all linking directly to A, and that's why I said maximum two. We rejected that proof from the Mishnah anyway, uh, but now we're bringing up the general, more general question, which way does it go? Antashima. Hareni nazir amar va'ani, va'ani. So the first one is from our Mishnah. This is similar logic that we just talked about at the top of the page. Um, the Mishnah begins, Mr. A says, and then B says, and then C says, and that's it. It doesn't say D, E, and F. So we can learn from that that this is the maximum because they're all linking to the first. It's like spokes. Because if you would say that it's like a link, a chain link, then you could go on forever and say va'ani many more times. So that's a proof from the Mishnah that it's like spokes. And then we answer as we did before. Tanakiru What? The author of the Mishnah, the reciter, is like a peddler? Just go on forever repeating the same thing? No, it's just giving a couple of examples, and that is sufficient. Okay, and then we say, And in that case, why do you even need two examples? Just say one. You want to teach me the principle that va'ani causes a link. 
So, say one time, and I'll figure out the rest that you can do it many times um, in a link and go on. Uh, so, same, uh, same explanation as before, uh, uh, above. It's because the continuation of the Mishnah talks about a case where Mr. A um, renounced his vow, and then, and that's in that case, everybody is renounced. That's for sure true, because everybody at some point is dependent on A directly or indirectly. Whereas the last guy uh, um, uh, undoes his, uh, renounces, then only the last guy, only C, is permitted and everybody else is prohibited, remains prohibited. So since it talks about the first and the last, um, that means that there must be a, someone in the middle. And that's why it set up the case at first that there's three people all together so that we can understand the very next case. But you're right, otherwise if we just, yeah, just, had, just wanted to know that Va'ani works, then that would be sufficient to have just one. Okay, good. Tashema, hutad harishon huteru kulan. Rishon hu desharu ha emsa'i la. Shema'mina bekama mitpesin. All right, second proof says that if Mr. A uh, uh, renounced his, uh, his, his vow, then all of them are, are, are renounced. So we can infer from that that only if Mr. A and uh, avoided his vow, then B and C are permitted. But if the middle one renounced his vow, then that would not be true. Um, it, it, the, then the middle one only would be uh, undone, whereas C would continue. So we can learn from there that Bekama mit Pesin, that B and C are dependent directly on A, like spokes. Otherwise, it would have given, it would have said, not not just if A uh, uh, annuls his vow, then B and C. You would have even should have said that if B annuls his vow, then also everyone after that C would announce would announce his vow. Since it doesn't talk about B, but only A, that shows that uh, it's like spokes. Um, so that's the attempted proof. However, Emalach, no, I can say uh, argue the other way. The Olam had peace. Maybe it's actually like a chain link. Now, because the Mishnah wanted to give an example when all three of them are permitted, that that's why it gave that case. Um, uh, because uh, that if uh, only if Mr. A renounces, then all of them are renounced. Because if it would say Mr. B, then um, uh, uh, Mr. C uh, would be renounced, but Mr. A would not be uh, would not be voided. Um, so if it talked about the MSAE, then the first one wouldn't, and that's why it talked about the uh, the first one renouncing. But it was not to exclude the possibility of B renouncing. And it wouldn't, if B renounced, in fact, it would be a chain link. And C also would be undone. Uh, so we can't bring a proof e from either way from that clause. All right, let's try the the next part, the next law in that very clause. Okay, the Mishnah taught that if C 
uh, annuls his vow, then only C is permitted and A and B are still prohibited because uh, there is nobody after C. So he's the last one. Uh, so what can we infer from that? But B, if B annuls, then there is someone after him, and that would be, uh, and C would be annulled also. So here we can learn that it's actually a chain link, right? Since um, since the only case where one person is annulled is when C is annulled. That's why he gave that case of Achadon. That means when if only B annuls, then it wouldn't be that only B is out because the Mishnah could have taught that case instead and said, if, if B annuls, only B. And then certainly I would have known that if, if C annuls, only C is out. Um, so the Mishnah must be hinting that the only way to get one person out is only if the last one does. But if B would be out, then B and C uh, would be permitted. So is that a good proof that it's a chain link? And we say not necessarily. Maybe, in fact, it's like spokes, and all of them are directly dependent on A. And then when it says the last, last doesn't necessarily mean only C, it can even be referring to B. But since in the beginning of the Mishnah, it talked about Rishon, meaning the first, that's for sure A, so then anybody after A is called a later person. Acharon doesn't have to be the last, it can be later than A. And so really either if B or C uh, annulled their Nizirut, then only B or C would be annulled and because it's not necessarily like a chain link and so there is no proof from here. Alright, and now third pas third uh, pas uh, 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 attempted proof. Tashema Detanya Behedya Hutar Harishon Hutru Kulan Hutar Acharon Hacharon Mutar Bekulan Asurin Hutarem Sai Hemenu Ulmata Mutar Hemenu Ulmala Asur Shema Mina Had Bechavre Mitpis Shema Mina Oh in the end we actually have a Baraita that says this explicitly. You should have brought the Baraita in the first place, but we wanted to go through that exercise uh, to see that the Mishnah is ambiguous about it. Then could be read both ways. Here's the Baraita. It says, if A annulled his vow, then all of them are annulled. That's for sure, no matter what. If the last person annulled his vow, then only the last person is permitted and the rest are still prohibited. This is the case we've been looking for that the Mishnah didn't say. Uh, if B annuls his vow, then from him and onward are permitted, in other words B and C, whereas from there and upward A is still prohibited. And so we see conclusively that each one is a link to the one before and that is a clear proof. Uh, in fact, this was the, the easier way of reading the Mishnah because Mishnah did say Acharon, and Acharon does sound like last, not a later one. So it was a difficult reading in the Mishnah anyway, uh, but not absolute proof, but this Baraita is, in fact, absolute proof. Okay, now the next clause in the Mishnah says, Hareni nazir ve'amar pi kefiv us'ari kisaro. Um, is one person says Hereni Nazir, and the second person doesn't say Va'ani, but says a more unusual phrase, my mouth is like his mouth, 
my hair is like his hair. Um, well, that makes him an Eziad also. Now we're going to ex ask exactly how does this work. Why should that be so? Right? Maybe it just means that uh, I want to get a, hair a hairdo uh, like that person. Right? I mean, what, how do we know that that means specifically Nezirut? And we have a challenge here. Yadi nezira, vedagli nezira, lo amar kelum, roshi nezira, kebedi nezira, har zehreze nazir. You look at this uh, baraita where someone says, my hand is a nazir, my leg is a nazir. He's, we, we, we kick him, we, we, he said nothing, he's not a nazir. Whereas if he said, my head is a nazir, my liver is a nazir, then he in fact is a nazir. Oh, the, uh, what's the difference between saying hand and head? Uh, something that the, one's life is dependent upon it, an essential organ, which a head, you need a head to live, you also need a liver to live, but you don't need a hand and a foot to live. So only if you said, you uh, talked about an essential organ, then is a nazir. It's the same as saying, I am a nazir. If you say, my heart, my head, right, anything that you need, since you need it, need that, it's an essential part of you, then the entire person is, in fact, a nazir. Okay, so this is all a challenge because in the Mishnah, he only talked about uh, um, uh, um, uh, mouth and hair. So, uh, well, maybe I guess you need a mouth to live. But hair, you don't need hair to live. So why should hair make someone a nazir? And the answer is, No, mouth and hair are specific uh, descriptors of a nazir. He's saying, may my mouth be like his mouth in refraining from wine. May my hair be like his hair in that it will uh, grow and I will not cut it. So those two specific things, because they are particular to an acti the activity of a nazir, those work. But other parts of the body that are not um, uh, not, not uh, uh, essential organs, then the nazirut would not work in the, for those. Okay, good. Next case in the Mishnah was about a woman uh, says, I am, a, I am a Nazira. And then the husband heard that and said, Va'ani, I also want to be a Nazir. So he is a Nazir. She's a Nazira too. And furthermore, he cannot thereafter annul her vow. Usually a husband can annul the vows of his wife, uh, including Nizirut, but now that he did that, he cannot anymore. All right, we're going to analyze this. Uh, when a husband annuls the Nizirut of his uh, wife, is it uprooting it from the beginning, or is it severing it from now on, but she was in fact a Nazir until that point. Maybe he didn't hear about her Nazirut until a few days later. He was away on a trip. And so that's, this is the question. We already started, we already discussed this on the, on the previous staff, but now we're going to go into it in, in depth. And we're going to see uh, about six proofs. We'll see three of them today. So first we ask, what would be a practical difference between these two opinions? Here's one. If a woman says, I am a Nazira, and then her friend said, Okay, so that works just like 
like it usually does. But the subs subsequently, the husband of Mrs. A uh, heard about that and annulled her Nizirut vow. Now, if you say that that annulment is retroactive, in that case, that Mrs. B's or Nizirut also is annulled because Mrs. B depended on Mrs. A. And now that Mrs. A is annulled retroactively from the start, so uh, Mrs. B links to nothing. And so she's, um, uh, she's in the clear. Whereas if you say that when the husband annuls, it's from that time on, let's say the you know, 10th day and from then on, but she was a Nizira on the day that she says, I am a Nazir, in that case, even though Mrs. A is annulled and she is not a Nizira anymore, but Mrs. B, who links to A, still it continues to be a Nizira because she linked to A when A was, was in fact, a Nizira. All right, so this is going to make a big practical difference. Um, now, my, what's the answer? All right, attempted proof number one. Tashema. A proof is from the Mishnah itself. When he, when she says, um, I'm a Nezira, and the husband says, me too, he cannot annul it. Now, let's see why. Uh, just as background, there's a general principle that a person cannot annul his own vow. You have to go to a sage, to someone else. Uh, you can't annul, annul your own nizirut. Uh, okay, so with that in mind, here's how it works. This Mishnah that says a husband cannot annul his wife's vow um, if uh, when he said he's the one that said vani and linked to her vow well what is the reason um, if you say that uh, the husband annuls it from now on so that let's say a case where she said i'm a nizira in the morning and he said vani immediately in the afternoon he says no i don't want my, my wife to be a nizira and he annuls it so fine he can just annul it and he will remain uh, a, a nazir because uh, when, at the time since it's only from then on at the time when she made a, niz, a nazirut she was a nazir so his vow sticks and so there would there would actually be no problem for a husband to annul her and remain a, a nazir and so then therefore there's no reason for the mishnah to say he cannot he should be able to annul it whereas um, if you say the husband retroactively uh, annuls her vow then we would explain why he cannot uh, nullify it um, in this case the problem is if he in the afternoon decides to annul her her nizirut that will work retroactively turns out she was never a nizira and therefore his nizirut which links to hers would also be undone but that it goes against the rule that a person cannot annul his own vow and so that would make sense that's why he cannot annul her vow because he cannot cause his own vow to be annulled so this part of the mishnah is a proof that the husband that the annulment goes back retroactively right isn't that a good proof now, in fact, we can explain this Mishnah that, according to the opinion, that it's only annulled from that from the time of annulment and on her nazirut, but she was was a nazir before that. And you're right, really, from the letter of the law, he would be able to annul it. 
um, uh, from from then on, uh, for, since it's from then on, so it wouldn't be a problem. But rather, the reason why he cannot, the Mishnah says he cannot annul it, even though it's only happening from now on, and he would remain an Azir. So it's not a problem of his annulling his own vow. He would not be annulling his own vow. But rather, the problem here is that because he said va'ani to her nizirut, that's the same as ratifying it and saying, I want to uphold this vow for you. Um, therefore, the only way he can annul is if he would, um, uh, he would go to a sage and said, I want to annul my ratification. And after he annuls his ratification, then he can annul her vow. But if not, he cannot, right? So va'ani uh, implies, uh, me too, means I'm glad that you're a nazira and I want to be a nazira too. That's the reason, but we cannot derive from this part of the Mishnah one way or another. All right, so next uh, attempted proof, Tashima. A woman makes, says, declares herself to be a, a Nezira, and she already separates an animal, says, this is going to be my animal, I'm going to bring it for uh, one of the three animals uh, that she brings, the korban chatat. She's going to bring this for the korban chatat that she, that she will have to bring at the end of the nizirut. However, after that, the husband annuls her nizirut. So this uh, um, mishnah, this is a mishnah that we uh, are going to see soon. Um, if the animal belongs to the husband, well, in that case, just let it out, let it go and graze in the flock. And it's not consecrated. Since it wasn't hers, that's the general rule. If uh, someone consecrates something that was not theirs, and they didn't, have, they didn't need to, so that means they didn't have a right to, so then the animal just goes. Um, I mean, if, if she did need to, so then uh, her, you know, her husband would have to provide it, and therefore it would be consecrated. But in this case, since she, it turns out retroactively that she didn't have to because she was never a Nezira, that's fine. Whereas if it belongs to her, this is something that she inherited, uh, and or he made a stipulation, you keep this, this is yours, uh, then... The hatat has to um, be in, put into put, be put into isolation and uh, let and be allowed to die, um, and that is the general rule of a, a hatat offering. For example, if the owner died. And now you can't bring it. No one else can bring it. The owner can't bring it, but it's consecrated. So you have to let it die. Um, so that's, that's the rule here. Now let's analyze. Hold on. If the husband's annulment goes retroactively and undoes, it, uh, undoes the whole thing, well, even if it's hers, then um, let it go and be a regular Holin animal, just like if it's the husband's animal, since she was never a Nezira. Therefore, um, her consecration was not a consecration. She had no obligation at the point, at that point. And you remember, there's a general rule. You can't just bring a Korban Chatat because you feel like. There's no such thing as a voluntary Korban Chatat. Since she was not liable to for a korban chatat, so let it go. Um, Rather, we can learn from here that it's uh, it's severed. The husband severs the obligation from that point and on. So it turns out she was in fact a nezira at the time that she consecrated the animal. That's why, if it belongs to the husband. Even though she was a Nezira at the time, but now she doesn't have to bring it anymore. So then it goes back to Chulin because it was never hers. But if it belongs to her, then the Korban 
um, um, she was a Nizida, she was liable at the time, and therefore it has to go ahead and die. Um, okay, so, the, so actually this is a good proof that um, uh, that's Megaz Gaiz, it's from then on. Isn't that a good proof? No, not necessarily. No, really could be that it is in fact retroactive. And she never was. Uh, she never was in that nezira. Turns out, but nevertheless, the animal is consecrated um, because she no longer because she no longer needs atonement. She, but at the time that she made the consecration, she did. She was a nezira. Just now, retroactively, she's no longer a nezira. She doesn't need atonement. So this is similar to a case of a person who went alive and needed to bring korban chatat. And so he designated animal, and then the the that owner dies. Nevertheless, even though there's no owner and there's nobody that needs atonement, um, we know that the law is that the um, the animal has to be left to die. And so this woman is kind of like the same thing. She's she's not dead, but she was a nizira. Now all of a sudden she's no longer a nizira. It's like the it's like she vanished. Uh, she physically is there, but her nizirut vanished. Nevertheless, just like if a person dies, then the consecration is still consecration. So to here, even if it retroactively is undone, the consecration is still a consecration. And if she, if, if she owns it, then that will still be a problem. All right, uh, last uh, attempted proof for today. Ta'ashema. This is Mishnah, a couple of adaptim from now. A woman becomes a Nazir, and she is uh, she drank wine, or she became Tameh Lamet. She gets 40 lashes. Now, what kind of case is this? If it's a case where her husband did not annul her vow, well, then why do I need to say this? Is anybody, any Nazir, Nazir, this is just a standard rule that if a nazir um, uh, violates the stipulation and be and, and drinks wine and becomes tamelamet, then they get lashes. So ela peshita defer la bala. So it's clear talking about a case where the husband, in fact, did annul it, and that's the chidush. She gets lashes even though the husband annulled it. Well, let's ask further. And if the husband, when he annuls it, if it works retroactively, so then it turns out she never sinned, even though when she drank the wine, she was a nazira. But now afterwards, once he annuls it retroactively, she was never a nazir. And so therefore, he, she, he, the husband can actually undo the sin. And so she, does, she shouldn't be uh, uh, given lashes. Uh, rather, it can't be that it works retroactively. It has to work from then on, from now on. And that's why, uh, for at when she drank, she was uh, nazira. That's why she deserves lashes, even though she doesn't have to continue after the annulment. But everything before the annulment, she is liable for. Uh, seems to be a good proof, but we say, no, not necessarily. The continuation of the Mishnah uh, tells us why we said this. Right? In fact, I could explain that, that it does go work retroactively. 
Um, and it's because of the continuation. If the husband annuls and she didn't know that the husband annulled it and she uh, um, uh, she drank wine, then she does not get then she does not get lashes. Uh, so we can tell from here that's why the, the first half says that she gets lashes. In other words, we're talking about a case in the first half where the husband did not annul it. All right. And so she became a Nazira, she drank wine, the husband doesn't know, she's going to get lashes. That's an obvious case. I know it's obvious, but I want to just set you up for the contrast um, of the second case. In the second case, from her perspective, it's the same thing. She became a Nazira, and then she sins, and she's drinking. Turns out, without her knowledge, the husband had annulled it. So she is thinking that she made a sin. And anyone looking at her would assume she made a sin, like in the first case. But this makes all the difference because the husband annulled it retroactively. Um, it undoes the whole nazirut, and that's why she does not get lashes. In the end, this Mishnah can be interpreted in more than one way, and therefore offers no absolute proof. And so we leave it at that, and we'll continue on the next half with three more uh, uh, proofs, attempted proofs for this uh, challenge. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.